Talk Talking Mariners, and this week, a lot of other baseball. Shannon Dreyer are here, soon to be joined by Boy Howdy, James Osborne, as we get into where the Mariners are in their off-season plan with all the latest news, notes, and insight. And then we're going to be joined by Gary Hill from the Mariners broadcast crew to discuss a topic that I've been kicking around for a while. And honestly, I was surprised in last week's podcast when Howdy told me he was starting to come around on this one. In this day and age, can you get to where you want to be without an ace? Now, that's not an easy question to answer. Gary's got some interesting pitching philosophies that I actually think that we have started to see evolve in the game, and I think the Mariners are on board. We'll get to that in just a bit. Of course, we can't keep Gary for just one topic. Jerry DePoto has a lot of work to do this winter in putting together a bullpen. We get Gary's thoughts on a number of possible fits and why the 2021 pen should look a lot different than what we saw this year. All right, first up, the hot stove has been slow to warm up, but we have seen moves of impact in some in this division. Howdy joins me to break it all down after an update on his first attempt at smoking a turkey for the Thanksgiving dinner. I truly, (laughs) truly thrived through Thanksgiving. It was a wonderful smoked turkey experience. I learned some things, but it was a wonderful Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, my Thanksgiving was good. It was outside. Uh, my family were doing. We're very, very serious about the social distancing and keeping everything outside. And um, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to to see each other. But it's all been distanced. Um, all the all the kids have been building the different structures outside with all the different heating elements. And learned a lot about that stuff. So we did have an outdoor Thanksgiving, and thankfully it wasn't too bad. The weather wasn't too awful. Um, but yeah, we, we have a very, very traditional meal that we have had in my family, uh, every year forever. And I think it goes back to the grandparents, mostly on my mom's side. And, uh, now we, you know, the kids make it as well. So it's just, it's a neat, uh, you know, just very kind of homey thing in that we know that the pumpkin pie is going to be this way. We know that the stuffing is going to be that way. And anytime anybody tries to add a little twist to it, it's very much frowned upon. So a uh, very traditional, except that it was outside and we were bundled up, but uh, it was great to be together with all of the family and uh, looking forward to doing it again in, in a few weeks. And hopefully the weather holds up for that as well. But uh, yeah, not enough pie. I will say that though. And uh, are you a guy that um, it's pumpkin only on Thanksgiving or do you have a plethora of pies? Pumpkin, pecan, growing up, my grandmother, the only time she would make the banana cream pie would be on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So um, I haven't been over there in a few years, but that's a, a good tradition. So, But I'm with you. I'm always in for pie and more pie. Um, yeah, lay it on and lay it on thick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just one note, always make the extra because my absolute favorite breakfast is pumpkin pie. If I could have anything for breakfast, it is cold pumpkin pie out of the fridge. I don't like whipped cream, so it's just plain pumpkin pie. It is the best breakfast, and you have to, like, make a second pie so you have a, a few days' worth of breakfast as well. It's just – it's – Absolutely. Next to the family, it's the best thing about Thanksgiving is is the breakfast that you have the next few days. Um, I was very thankful that Jerry DePoto, we joke about this all the time, that uh, he had that Thanksgiving Eve trade, his first big deal, the big, big deal, you know, the Mitch Hanniger, Taiwan Walker, uh, Marte deal. Uh, Segura, of course, was part of that and apparently on the move again. Uh, that came down Thanksgiving night as, I think, as DePoto tells it, as he was chopping the onions. Uh, thankfully, we did not have that. And uh, out on the Twitterverse, everybody likes to absolutely tease and abuse the reporters that you're not going to have Thanksgiving because this is going to happen again. Thankfully, no hint of that this time. And we were able to just kind of relax and, and have that day. But uh, I, it's great to see things start to cook up around baseball. We're starting to see some movement. 
The winter meetings are underway right now. They are 100% virtual. There is nobody gathering anywhere. But in talking to Jerry DePoto a couple of times um, over the last few weeks, the off-season by and large has been very normal in the work that they're doing, in the timeline that they have had in that you know, early on they're checking in with every club, seeing if there are fits, then they're checking back with clubs, they're doing their due diligence on free agents, which is a little bit harder in some regards this year in that there was no in-person scouting. Uh, you do have all of the metrics, which, which do paint a big picture of it, but with the prospects in general, they, you haven't seen them for the most part. If they were at alternate sites, alternate sites weren't scouted. So that, that kind of has made things different. But uh, DePoto was interested to see what happened this week. While it's felt very slow, it, you know, if you look at recent years in particular, it really doesn't get going until the winter meetings. And then uh, in recent years, we've seen the Boris clients held back until after the holidays, which uh, has been even worse. So it's been a very slow rolling market in the last few years anyway. And I, I think it, it's interesting, the thing that's jumping out at me with it right now is, especially in the last few days, we're seeing more trades. And I, I'm just wondering if this is, uh, you know, an indication that a lot of teams have been told, don't spend. You know, we didn't have the gate this year. We're not going into this reserve or that reserve. See what you can do with what you have. So I, I think to me, it feels like we're seeing a little bit more on the trade front. And one of those teams that has made a splash is one that you pointed to, Howdy, as being a concern in the division. Yeah, I uh, we talked the last couple of times, and I mentioned my concern about the Angels and more of just their ability to be able to take advantage of this time. They are not afraid to spend money. They are not afraid to go out there and get what they want, despite whether they think it's a long-term good idea or not. And they are in a win-now mode, and they're desperate, and I am concerned that they're going to be in a position to take advantage of this season where people are going to be a little reticent to spend that free agent money, like you said, and they're going to be one of the teams that could that could operate under the old spending principles of saying, I think this guy's worth it. I'm going to spend the money. I don't care what the impact of it is on the backside. Uh, take us through a little bit about what's going on with the Angels. Well, the Angels, and, and the thing that is, uh, I think, kind of pointing to what you are expecting to happen and hasn't yet, they're making deals on the trade end of things. And Artie Moreno has said that he is going to spend. We've seen that a little bit in the trades that he's made and in taking on money. But uh, I think that when all is said and done, we're still going to, as we did last year, see them in on the top pitching free agents. I I'm sure they will be in on Trevor Bauer. But the big moves that they've made is they've acquired a pair of Iglesias, one at shortstops and, and Jose, and then they picked up and you know, who knew that he was even available, let alone for the price that he was, the Reds' closer, Reisel Iglesias. And so those are two huge additions to that team. They've had all sorts of bullpen problems in recent years, and this is an established arm. He hasn't had that many opportunities to convert saves in recent years, but he does have that back end of the bullpen. He is, you know, at the very worst, a strong setup man on a good club. And uh, they picked up a major, major arm for their bullpen and did it without having to give up too much. And I think that there were a lot of, and kind of following along with it, some teams that were wondering, uh, why, why weren't we in on this guy for this price? And then, of course, the other, uh, they replaced Andrelton Simmons with Jose Iglesias. It's a, you know, a dip. You had the best defensive shortstop out there, but no offense. And now you've got a guy with offense and pretty good defense as well. So I think you have to look at that as an upgrade for them. So 
they've gotten things going on, uh, gotten things going, uh, making a trade that I don't think hurt them too much prospect-wise, and also spending a little bit of the dollars that they're willing to spend, and uh, you know just take care of two important pieces of their roster very early on before they even dip into the free agent market. Yeah, this is a big concern for me. Um, I was concerned about this because if they do this right, and the Angels don't have a great history in the last decade of doing this right, but if they do this right and they get their young players to perform the Joe Adels of the world and Mike Trout continues to be who he is and Anthony Rendon stays healthy, they've got enough power within their organization top to bottom, especially at the major league level, to be good. And none of these guys are the Albert Pujols that, that you're counting on that are 37, 38, 41 in his case that you expect, well, they got one or two more years and they're done. If they hit on these guys correctly, their, their window's wide open and it's wide open right now. So I, that, it just concerns me that if they make the right moves, you know, there, there was some thinking that maybe the Mariners could slide in while the Astros are sort of in between um, trying to keep themselves alive and, the Angels haven't figured it out. If they do this right, the Angels could put themselves right in the middle of this com- competitive window that the Mariners want to get to, and that just concerns me. So especially since they haven't even touched the free agent pitching market uh, in, a, in a strong way, and I think there's going to be some great value deals there. So I got some concerns, Shannon. It's, uh, it's, it's not looking good for what I wanted to see this offseason. The test of that is going to be as if they truly spend. I think that when you were looking at the window for the Mariners, and it's not closing, it's, it's, there's still very much, you know, still opening that window. It's, they haven't even, you know, stuck a toe through that window if you're going to go feet first through a window. But I, I think what is a, a little bit of concern is that when you were looking at how this plan would go and the rise and the fall of the Astros, where the Angels were with this was, I think there was a conventional wisdom, and that's with us. I mean, I'm, I know that all of this was weighed and a much, you know, much more was put into it on, on the Mariners' side and kind of investigating it. But you were thinking that, wow, the Angels have got tons of dollars on their books, and they're still paying for Albert Pujols. So I, I think the idea was they probably wouldn't spend for a couple of years and probably try and reload and it looks like they are going to spend on top of what they are spending, and, and that is where all of a sudden they become more of a factor if they indeed do that than they were before. As far as the farm system goes, I mean, Adele is a big part of that. He does need to, to kind of hit and be something for them, but it, it's still very early for him. You know, they don't have the depth of the farm system if they want to go in for trades that the Mariners have. They're more middle of the pack organizationally wise so how does that bode for the long term but as you point out with these players that they are picking up uh, you know add it to a Mike Trout that's going to be there forever Rendon has add it to a Rendon who's got uh, plenty left and is going to be a force for a, a good amount of time then all of a sudden it's a different look for them are they looking at you know win or bust this year at whatever it takes and we'll deal with the future or are they actually building something that can be sustained for a little bit longer so I think that'll be a big part of the equation for them. Another interesting division development, and I don't think it's so much a development because I think that we've been looking at it all along and saying, yeah, they're, you know, they've got to stop and, and push the restart button, is the Texas Rangers. And they've got a long way to go, but they took a step this week in, in trading their, I think, probably biggest asset right now in Lance Lynn and getting back uh, two pitching prospects, one that they can insert into the rotation right away, the other that is probably uh, going to factor in as a reliever, but a nice arm regardless. And 
you take a look at what they traded for one year of Lance Lynn, and I think that perhaps puts into perspective about what these top arms are going to cost. Yeah, and it is interesting because it's going to lead us to another guy that sort of swept the Seattle baseball scene a couple of weeks ago when his name got mentioned. But having Lance Lynn and having a a significant arm move in the trade market, uh, it's not something I really expected to happen up to this point, to be quite frank. I thought the teams would be a little bit nervous about moving big assets until there was a little more clarity into how next year was going to look in terms of how many games are going to be played, whether fans are going to be there, when it's going to start, all those kinds of things. But the fact that Lance Lynn moves and he moves with this package, I think it does speak to a little bit more of the one sort of outlier wasn't on my radar guy uh, (laughs) in Blake Snell. I would love to hear more of what you think about Blake Snell and the rumors that came out a couple weeks ago that the Rays may look to trade Blake Snell mostly for uh, contract concerns. Well, this is typical Rays was was the first thing. Uh, The second thing was, what are the odds that this actually gets done? Uh, I think the Rays are floating that out there, hoping that there will be a huge trade market for him. And uh, I think that they're looking at it. If it's worth our while, we can do it and we will do it. And I think that's how the Mariners should be looking at it as well. But for at the Mariners' price and what I think that they should pay for Blake Snell, I don't think the Rays are trading Blake Snell. So uh, I don't think it's going to have impact on the M's in that regard. I, I think that um, the Rays are putting Blake Snell out there as an ace and would like to be compensated as such. And so if you look at one year of Lance Lynn, he gets an organizational top five prospect who's ready to be inserted into a rotation right now and then another very good arm I think Blake Snell is going to get more than that and the word was they were looking for two type two top prospects for that and I don't see the Mariners doing that well, I look think at Lance, that, Lynn. Lance Lynn's making nine million dollars in the last year of his contract at 34 years old that's that's not even the same ballpark in terms of the value that you should see with with Blake Snell but that said it's the Rays. They're used to trading aces and top talent arms. And, you know, there's a couple of options out there. And are you for sure, if you're a trading team, that Blake Snell is a 200 innings, you need him in a playoff game to go three times through the rotation, or three, three times through the lineup and be successful in the fourth? Like, is he that guy for you? So I think it's an in- there is a connection. There's an interesting piece. But I think they're probably right to be looking for, you know, 50 to 70% more for for Blake Snell than the the Rangers got for Lance Lynn. Well, what's interesting is Lance Lynn has been like a top five pitcher in a lot of categories over the last couple of years. It's very quietly he has established the numbers. He is older, and so I look at Lance Lynn as, okay, this guy is a known quantity right now. I think you can feel good about having Lance Lynn in 2021. I think if you're going to go for it, great person to insert into your rotation, and and you feel good. But what about after that? Of course, his contract is up. But I think he is one year. You know what he is, and what he is is very, very, very good. On Blake Snell, I think you're still looking at potential. You know that he had the Cy Young season. There are questions about the durability. And then there are questions about uh, getting deep in games and innings in a season. And that's kind of what separates him from that true ace for me is that I want to see 200-plus inning seasons. I want to see a guy that more often than not is going more than six innings in a game. That, to me, let alone putting up the numbers, that's the guy that you lean on. When you look at Blake Snell, do you think Justin Verlander when the Houston Astros traded for him? No. Do you think Garrett Cole last uh, uh, 2019? 
no, not quite. The strikeouts are there, but that I'm going to go out and give six, seven, eight innings time after time after time, you don't have that. And a lot of that is on the Rays. They didn't want that from their pitchers. So we don't know. He very well could do that. We don't know. You know Lance Lynn can go out and give you the innings, give you the strikeouts, give you what he has given you. But Blake Snell has been up and down a little bit in performance. The strikeouts are there. There's no question about that. But uh, as far as the injuries go, a little bit of question there. And then just, you know, how far can he, as you pointed out, go through that rotation, uh, go through that lineup the third time? Uh, How many innings can he put up in a season and get into the postseason? So if you're asking for more in him in the regular season, where is he going to be at the end? We don't really know. He hasn't really been pushed that far, and a lot of that is on the Rays. And you'd like to look at him and say, yeah, this should work, but you don't know. And so you are, if you are trading for him, giving up a steep, steep price for a bit of an unknown. It, It most likely is there, but you don't know. So that, to me... That, that's a tough one um, to make, especially at this point of the game for the Mariners. If, uh, yeah. if this were next year and you had a little bit more data on him, perhaps. But, uh, you know, again, I want to see them doing something more akin to what the Astros did when they brought Verlander over. I want that guy, if you're going for that ace, I want you to be 100% sure that he is that ace. And for me, as much good as there is, with Blake Snell, there is still that question and not his fault. And there's still a little bit of time for him, you know, to go out there and show it. I don't think on the Mariners for what you would be giving up, that's worth it. Because you've got to remember that while you look at how deep the Mariners farm system is, they still, you know, we, we talk pitching, 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 but you're still, you've still got a lot of questions about that offense. And to me, I think you need two star outfielders out there. I'm not sure one does it with what you've got at other spots on the diamond right now. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking at we've got this surplus and we can give up this potential superstar. That's I don't think you're there. And the other thing is, is I'd really like to see more about what the Mariners have in the pitching that they're developing. Yeah. So, it's, you know, would I give up? It's, Go ahead. It's great points. I, I, I'm mostly there with you all the way. I think that if it was if it was the end of next season and the Mariners have a successful 500 season where the young guys truly do take that next step forward and you've got three for sure things in your rotation now that you feel good about and you just want to add that cherry on top, the guy that's you know got that top-end talent who's performed at that level, I think it's a no-brainer. It's a slam dunk. I mean, the hard part about it is if he goes, if, if, uh, if Blake Snell goes out next year and shoves it, then the price goes even more through the roof, and you're not willing to pay that either. So there's a there's a catch twenty two and all that stuff, and there is a risk that you you know you may have the ability to buy a little bit lower than if it was a premium price, and he does go out and put out put together a Trevor Bauer year. Uh, but I I think all that said, I'd li- I'd like the Mariners, and I, and I know they will. They're not going to leave any stone unturned to stay in touch with this because I'm not really sure if the Rays really do want to go into next year with Blake Snell. Uh, with the stuff that happened with him in the playoffs and how they handled that whole situation, on top of the money situation that they always run into, on top of how much they value their culture and their way of doing things, I'm not really sure that they're committed to starting next year with him on the roster. And if that's the case and nobody wants to bite, is there a way where you can trade yourself a, a prospect you don't want to get rid of but get Blake Snell and another prospect back to soften some of that load? I think there's some opportunities to get creative with all that sort of stuff. So I don't think this is a closed door. I'll be curious to watch this thing over the next three months because I think it'll get a little more clear. 
I don't want to go too much further into depth in this, but I do want to say something out loud and bounce it off of you because it's something that I've kind of wondered about this. And there are other ways. It's not they're not going to go out and give up Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert for Blake Snell. That's not going to or Julio Rodriguez and and Logan Gilbert for Blake Snell. That's not going to happen. But they do, I think, have enough um, prospects that perhaps are that step below that you can give up something that is not as painful with a bigger pros, uh, package of prospects, perhaps take on a salary, maybe a Kevin Kiermaier. There's been talk about that perhaps they package that as well. I don't think that's the way that it would go. But a question that I would have about it is uh, the Rays need a catcher. And there was talk about Cal Raleigh, who is a now, I believe, a top five Mariners prospect who is coming off a very good, you know, all reports out of Tacoma were fantastic. And then he had a, a good showing offensively. He didn't catch, but down in instructional league. And you know, perhaps this is somebody that they would be interested in and you could build around him as a co kind of big piece of that deal. But then that got me thinking about another player that the Mariners have that might be of interest to a number of teams and perhaps something to watch for in the next couple of months. Luis Torrens already has played in the big leagues, has done nothing to hurt himself playing in the big leagues this year, is still progressing as a young player. Mariners were pleasantly, pleasantly surprised by the offense that he was showing, the kind of offense that he was showing, the development of that offense, and the defense is coming along. I'm wondering if that is a player we really haven't thought about for the Mariners. I think it's a great point to bring up. Absolutely. Uh, I think that he should be viewed in, in some ways in this offseason as more of an asset than a building block of the future. But if he's on the roster come, you know, the time 21 starts, I would expect them to start really trying to explore whether or not Tom Murphy or Terenz is going to be the guy or if there's a way that they can keep both of them and get the best out of both of them. I have the feeling that the Mariners are higher on Tom Murphy than just about everybody else. And if he pans out the way and continues to play it the way that he did when he was healthy for them, they're going to be more than happy to roll with that. But, uh, you know, it's a curious thing to look at. The Mariners do have a little bit of a surplus in the fact that they have three guys, prospect, up-and-comer, and and a a major league-ready guy at a position that everybody needs, especially the Rays. So I think it's a good call to watch out for. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is DePoto has shown that he is not shy about just going and getting a catcher. You know, if if he were to move a catcher, if he were to move both catchers today, he'd just go get, he'd, he'd find two more catchers. He's done that a few times. That's how you got Murphy. That's how you got Nola. That's how you've had a number of people that you've seen behind the plate. So uh, I don't, I think that, it, I, I think any of the catchers are, are up for grabs. But, you know, if you've got Raleigh coming and you believe in him, you don't need both Murphy and Terenz. And Murphy is first-year arbitration eligible right now. Terenz has got that full six years in front of him. I, I got to think that, yeah, I think you put that well. You, you view him more as an asset right now. All right, we're going to get to Gary Hill in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, let's just hit on a couple of things that we've seen from the Mariners in particular since the last podcast. Like literally, I think it happened during, or it happened like an hour after uh, our last podcast. But um, we did get um, the Rule 5 protection. Uh, players and there were four I think I gave my prediction of what it would be at the end of the podcast you were gone I taped something afterwards Uh, and I was (laughs) do that to me I had three well (laughs) things happened talked a little bit about Robinson Cano too we're not going to do that Mm. again Um, because that happened during the podcast while we were taping it which explained the alarms that were going off that I couldn't take a look at 
The only surprise, they did go with four this year. Last year they went with none. I think that tells you a little bit of how they value what they have right now, but they did protect, and this is such old news, so we'll go through it very quickly. Um, Taylor Trammell, Wyatt Mills, Juan Then, and Sam Delaplane. Delaplane was the only one I wasn't sure because he had a very, very rough summer camp, a very, very rough go in Tacoma, but they value what they saw from him last year. They value that slider, so he was protected as well. None of them are Rule 5 draft eligible. And you know what? I think there is a good chance that we see, well, I'm not sure, but I think the one to keep an eye on uh, this year will be Wyatt Mills. He made some drastic changes. Uh, it was eye-opening performance in Tacoma. wrote a little bit about it on MyNorthwest.com. You can go find that uh, if you want. And then Juan Venn, who is a player that um, they signed. They traded to the Yankees, I believe, for Nick Rumbelo, and then uh, got him back in another trade. And he is uh, hitting triple digits right now as a uh, good off-speed pitch and uh, a lot of people ask me about then, you know, what is he? Is he a starter? Is he a, relief, a reliever? And the Mariners' philosophy with these young guys are they're starters until they prove they are not. And so far he is remaining on that starter track. So interesting names to watch all across the board. The other is uh, the tenders. And to me it's no surprise, but you were pretty intrigued by what we saw in that. We just talked about Murphy being first-year arbitration eligible. He uh, was tendered a contract. J.P. Crawford, uh, the same, and Mitch Hanniger, who has since agreed to a deal, a one-year deal, $3 million, $10,000, which I believe is the exact same amount he was signed for in his first year of arbitration eligibility. But um, Hanniger, Jerry DePoto talked about it at the end of the season. Uh, it's been a long comeback from the surgeries, but uh, they believe he will be healthy in spring training if he is healthy. DePoto said he's counting on writing him down in right field every day. Yeah, it's what a saga for Mariners fans, more so for him and for the team, obviously. But we're, we're talking to the fans. We're talking about the fans and from the fan perspective. <laughs> the fans had been leaning on Mitch Hanniger as the bright, shining star of the Mariners' new way of getting somebody that others overlooked and having him develop and just blossom into something that was great, an all-around great player, great guy, a person you could lean on in every facet and every aspect of baseball. And then he has these injuries come down and the surgeries and it mounts and he misses an entire season and a half or more. <laughs> and now you're sitting in a place where you missed almost the window of being able to use Mitch Hanniger's best times. And we're not sure how he's going to look when he comes back missing that much time. I mean, what, what kind of player is he going to be? There's just so many questions about it. So for a Mariner fan, it's got to be a, a conflicted and difficult time. I know it is for me trying to figure out how Mitch Hanniger fits moving forward. He's going to slot in as a starter because if he's healthy, there's nothing that he's put up in his career that shows that he shouldn't be a starter. You don't have anything out, out there in your system that you say, I have to sit Mitch Hanniger for this guy or I got to cut him loose. I mean, he has no value to trade and you wouldn't want to cut him because there's a potential he could be great. But you're now at this inflection point where it seems more likely that he would build value in the season and you'd trade him or show that he hasn't come through his rehab the way you want and he's just not the same player and you cut him, then it would be he's your actual right fielder of the future or a cornerstone of your next chapter. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that there's still a strong possibility he's a part of the core of this team moving forward if he puts up a good year? Well, here's the thing. You've really lost nothing as far as the big picture goes. What have you lost? You've lost Mitch Hanniger in the year where they scrapped everything. And uh, it just, you know, mm. 
2019 was not fun. <laughs> oh, well, Mitch Haniger was gone for most of that. Yeah. And then you've lost him in a year that was 60 games. And, you, you know, it was, the focus was put on the young players. So, I mean, you kept Mitch Haniger for these next two years. That's why you held on to him and didn't trade him. So if he can come in and be Mitch Haniger, and for me the question mark is, is that we did see him struggle on offense before he was hurt that entire season for the most part. Has he figured that out? I think we're still asking what is Mitch Haniger because we've seen so much good. We know there have been injuries. Um, but is he still that hitter that you believed he was when you traded for him and that he showed some pretty substantial flashes of before injuries started to derail, derail things? And I think that now we're going to get that chance to, to see that if he is healthy. And, you know, so you lost the two years. They weren't very important years to have him. I think one of the reasons why you wanted to have him, because, and you pointed out accurately, he was that model. That's who Jerry DePoto pointed to. They did okay without that leadership, without that model in the clubhouse every day last year. So I think that when he comes back, now it's all about Mitch. Now it's all about can you be that guy? And if you are that guy, is that going to help get the Mariners to the playoffs in 2020 or build your value where you can help the Mariners get to the playoffs in years to come because you've been traded for something? So I look at it a little bit differently in that there is still plenty that could happen good and perhaps you haven't lost as much as you think that you've lost because he's been out as long as he has. And I'll tell you this much. When, I think you probably saw it on Twitter, but, um, and this is hilarious because I'm watching the tweet deck right now and the Mariners are putting out the picture. Let's welcome the newest member of the Hanniger family. Congrats. Mm. He and his wife uh, had a baby a few days ago. I, I think that, and now I'm distracted because there are baby pictures. In <laughs> How can you possibly do a podcast when there's cute baby pictures going on? I'm with you there. But no, you're absolutely happen? right. It's it's it. The conversation does shift to him, and it does shift to you. If he can put up the year that he's capable of, and if he really hasn't lost anything, it's just been time to recover to get back to where he was, the Mariners are in an interesting spot. And I think that at, whereas if he had played in 2019 all the way through and gotten back to it and played 2020 at that same level – I don't think we're having the same conversation this next year. If he plays well those last two years and is not injured, you're talking about him being the cornerstone of it all. But now, when he comes back, if he plays well in 2021, are you still having the conversation, we're going to make him the cornerstone? Or is this just, you know what, this finally gives us the opportunity that every other team has seen value in him and now we can trade him. I think that's that's more where I would lean than him being a cornerstone. But it'll be an interesting conversation to have over, throughout the next season. Right, and I mean, realistically, I don't think you can make him the cornerstone. And part of that, if Kyle Lewis is Kyle Lewis, from what he showed this year and progresses, and there are things that he needs to, you know, 60 games just isn't enough. But if he is going to be a true factor, then it would appear your outfield is probably set a lot younger, and, and that is going to, you know, kind of bump Hanniger out of there. And that's no, that's no surprise. We all knew that. Hanniger is, you know, in his 30s at that point. It's going to be... Yeah, time to move on. So I think that you do kind of knock that out, and that's what I say. Well, it's all about Hanniger right now and what he can do. And what I was going to say before I was distracted by the baby looking at Twitter was if you did take a look at Twitter over the last week and you saw just one little snippet of video that Mitch put out there about he's, he's hitting again, and this is a little bit ahead of schedule, I think. I think that we were told that he would probably resume baseball activities 
in early January, but he is hitting right now. When you saw that swing and you saw it, it only took one, but you're like, oh, that's Mitch Haniger right there. You know, you want to get kind of excited about what he could be and, and kind of hopeful and what he could be. Just go watch some highlights at the plate. You, you just, as I said, it just took one swing and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, miss that. That can come back. So we'll see. It, it's, it's an interesting one. I understand it's tough for, for the fans to see all the time that he has missed. But I think you've I think you've nailed it with the impact of the plan that it has. About the only thing that it does right now is take away that cornerstone label, which probably would have been gone at this point anyway if all things were going well. So you know now go out there and uh, see what you can do and, and and have that season that you wanted to have last year. What's well, bringing Gary Hill? Been waiting too long for him. Okay, I've been looking forward to this conversation, and it kind of popped into my head, Howdy, in our last podcast because I brought it up, and you surprised me on kind of agreeing or starting to perhaps uh, allow for the possibility of agreeing with a topic that I had, and we'll get to that in just one minute, but I thought Gary Hill's going to be the perfect person to bring in on this. But before we do that, Gary, uh, wow, what, it's been a month and a half since I've seen you, and I guess that would be normal in a baseball season that we do just kind of go our own way. But it does feel a little bit different after everything we were through last year. What have you been up to? Yeah, you know, a lot of the same stuff. Uh, cutting my own hair and hanging out at home. <laughs> a lot of that. So <laughs> growing a beard, you know, your typical at-home things. Uh, into basketball a little bit. And that's been uh, really strange as well. Just to give you an idea, I called a Washington-Stanford game that they played at UNLV while I was sitting at Husky Stadium, the football stadium. So it's been, you know, 2020 just kind of continues in the broadcasting world. It's been it's been pretty unusual all the way around. But, you know, it's fun to have a baseball conversation. You know, I always I always miss it. I'm really looking forward to next year. And, you know, this is we're in such interesting times. I, I can't wait to see how this offseason plays out and going into next year. There's there's just so many unknowns. It's hard to know what to expect. I kind of feel like we're starting to get a little clarity in the last week, not in just that, okay, we know the additional free agents. And if I, if my numbers are right, I think there were 19 more non-tenders this year or perhaps 16 with three re-signing right away. Perhaps that wasn't as dramatic as I think we were fearing. Maybe it was considering that last year was kind of a big jump too. I'm not sure, but uh, we're starting to see the trades. We've seen some very interesting trades. Uh, James and I were just talking about everything that the Angels have done, which to me is a little surprising. I think they're going on a little bit different path than perhaps we thought they would if we were looking at this a few years ago. And then uh, the Rangers finally saying, yeah, we need to start over and uh, trading Lance Lynn. Yeah, and that's something that I think we were all surprised that that didn't happen at the deadline last year. I, I, I was, I've been surprised at the Rangers, and I know I think the complicating factor was moving into a new stadium with some of their decision-making. Uh, and I think this is a move that was coming. And the one move I didn't see coming was Chris Young being their GM. That's probably the biggest surprise from the Texas Rangers. But I, I think they are finally, as being a middle-of-the-road team the last few years, you know, one of the few middle-of-the-roads. It's been, you know, baseball the last few years, there seems like there's been the contenders and there's the teams that have torn down to contend. And there haven't been very many of that middle kind of contending, kind of not. And the Rangers and Angels, I feel like, have both been kind of in that same space. But I think we're going to see the Rangers go in it. And I think the Lynn trade signals that what direction they're going to go in. 
And yeah, the Angels, I, I love their moves so far. I mean, for them, they're great moves. Of course, they have a new GM too. So I guess they're signaling what direction they're going into. And having Mike Trout on the roster kind of makes you go in that direction, right? I mean, he's a guy that's been to the playoffs once. He's the best player in baseball. He's been the best player in baseball for a long time. And it feels like that they are trying to make a push to get there again. It seems like they're going to go full like like yeah. village for the Detroit Tigers. And, and yeah. we're just going to buy this thing if we can. Yeah. Go for it. Trying to take advantage of a, of a market, too, that could be friendly. And I feel like they already did that with the Reds. I mean, they got a, a really good closer because the Reds were trying to to get rid of some payroll. And, you know, you mentioned the non-tenders. And I think one of the most interesting aspects of that, when you kind of break it down by geography, a lot of the non-tenders did not come from the East and the West, but it came from the teams in the Central. The teams in the Central really went about shedding payroll at a much higher rate than the teams on the West and the East. And it's going to be interesting to watch the Central in particular, in both the National League and the American League, how it plays out. I mean, it kind of opens the door, I think, for a team like the White Sox, who already were at a lower payroll and really young and really good. Uh, but the finances with teams in the central, it, it's its interesting to watch uh, payroll circumstances across the board there. The la- landscape of baseball is so crazy, and the idea of what's value and what isn't, what are things actually worth, is just so across the board. My concern is that there are going to be some teams out there that are going to be so convicted about how they want to go about their business and what they want to spend and take advantage of the fact that they may have saved some money over the past couple of years by rebuilding and just be ready to strike while the iron is so cold and there's nobody around spending money and get some real good bargains and set themselves up, set a real good floor for the rebuild projects. Just curious if you see any opportunity or any potential names like the Angels that could be doing that. Oh, that's I think that's a great that's a great point because I think there are going to be bargains to be had. Like, I, I guess we'll see how it plays out, but I still feel like, you know, Springer and the top end guys are going to get theirs. They're going to get really good deals. I feel like there's going to be a middle class of, of bargains, essentially, where you can really supplement what you have going on. And I, I don't know. I guess the opportunity is there for a number of teams. You know, I mean, it looks like the Angels are already on board doing that. But I think there's a lot of teams that can push forward what they're doing by not spending a ton, you know, because I think there's going to be a lot of guys. And we saw Eaton sign today with Chicago for, you know, under 10 million, which is, you know, a short term deal, not not a high investment, but could get high reward for it. And I think there's going to be a ton of deals like that. And I think there's a lot of teams that can go about it. And I think the White Sox are one. They've already traded for Lynn. They've added Eaton. But you can add another piece or two to what you already have going that you weren't expecting. I mean, you were not expecting to have guys like that at this price. And uh, a team like the White Sox is certain. I I mean, I think there's a number of teams that can do it. I I just don't have a good feel for who's going to, though. I don't know. That's a good question. I wish I had a good answer. No, I think think it is a great answer. And in some ways, as a Mariner fan, to me, it's like, oh, man, you – you were so close. If you were just one year ahead, you could be that team. You could be the team yeah. to go out and spend $70 million and get five above average players at discounted rates and really get this thing going and lift your floor up. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure that that's the right move for them now, and I'm nearly positive they won't. But it's just a, it's a curious position, and I think it does sort of lead you to the next 
conversation than one we were really excited to have with you, and that's about the future of the ace in baseball and how it's viewed for rebuilding teams and teams with playoff aspirations. I uh, listened to you a lot throughout the season with some of the research you've been doing and looking at the numbers and how teams have been viewing this. Is it still a necessity for teams to target and have an ace to make a World Series run? I love this question. Uh, I love this question for a number of reasons, and I hope you 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 want more than a yes or no because I think it's a <laughs> it's it's a complicated. I think it's a complicated subject. First, let me start with this. Uh, I guess everyone probably defines ace a little bit different. So I believe every team has a number one starter. Not every team has an ace. So ace is, you know, ace is Felix when he was Felix. Ace is Randy Johnson. Ace is your, there's not many of those guys out there. So that's what I think about when I think about an ace. So I think about this question in two different ways, right? And I think about it, do you need an ace to win the World Series? Do you need an ace to get to the postseason? And let me tackle the postseason part first. I don't think you need an ace to get to the playoffs. I don't think you need an ace to win your division or get to the postseason. I think about think about the Twins the last two years. The Twins have been a really good team. They've won their division. They've had a really good rotation. I mean, their rotation has been, you look at the last two years, top 10 in starting pitcher ERA. And it's just solid, like up and down. It's Barrios, Odorizzi, uh, Pineda, Gibson, Maeda this year. You know, that type of guy, right? I don't think any of those guys are aces, but really solid up and down. The A's are kind of the same way. You know, think 2019 with Fires and Brett Anderson and Bassett, you know, guys like that, where it was solid. You know, top 10 ERA in the American League. But again, they don't have an ace, which I think is great. Uh, to get you into the postseason. Now, the question is winning the World Series, right? Do you need an ace to win the World Series to take that next step? And I can't say that you have to, but if you look at the past, I don't know, go back to 2008, right? I feel like, and part of this is definition because maybe some people feel like, I don't know, Chris Carpenter wasn't an ace on the 2011 team, St. Louis team, but I do. But if you look at the World Series winners, I feel like since 2008, there is only one World Series winner in that span that did not have an ace. And that was the Kansas City Royals. They had a really deep rotation. You know, your Volquez, Duffy, Ventura, Christian kind of rotation. That was just really good and really deep, but they didn't have a frontline guy. But you look at the past, you know, few years, and I guess parts part of it is definition. I feel like Kershaw pitched like an ace this year, even though he's probably on the waning end of his aceness, if if that's a word. Bueller, I don't know. I guess I consider him an ace. You had Scherzer and Strasburg the year before that, Sale the year before that, Verlander. I don't know. It feels like you. I guess my answer is my short answer is you don't have to have an ace. Kansas City has proved it to win a World Series. But, man, it sure helps, and a lot of teams that win it do. When you look at it, Gary, it's not just a matter of putting together that starting staff, and obviously the bullpen comes into play as well. And what we have been seeing with teams and the value that's been put on the bullpen, uh, how much of a shift do you think that is in building an entire pitching staff to get to a postseason? Oh, I think it changes everything. And, you know, we've seen, and, you know, I point the A's, they've had, 
you know, this veteran rotation, but really, I mean, they build on their bullpen. Their bullpen's been amazing. And the Rays have kind of done the same thing. You know, the Rays, they have some good starters, right? But, I mean, the bullpen was the backbone. In the playoffs, the bullpen was the backbone as well. And that's why, you know, I look back at the history, right, of aces and teams with aces. But that could completely change in the next few years because pitching is changing so fast. I mean, it kind of, when we have this conversation, looking back to like the year 2000, is like looking back to the Stone Age, right? Because everything's different. Everything's different. So, I don't know, moving forward, you might not have to. I mean, the A's, A's, the Rays almost won it last year. And I don't know, you could say Chris, uh, you could say Snell is an ace, right? Uh, mm. But they don't really, <laughs> they don't use him as an ace. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, He's not an ace functionally, right? Because you only go five innings. Uh, to me, ace is, you know, seven. He's going to give you seven when he goes out and dominates. And that's not really who he is. Glasnow is kind of the same thing. So they almost won it all without one, right? But they did it. They did it with their bullpen. So the bullpen changes. It changes everything. Or it can potentially. As far as the Mariners go, because that's, I mean. I'm looking at everything through a Mariners lens. They're my favorite team in baseball in all of sports. I love the Mariners. Do the Mariners need to have a plan to figure out how to get an ace? Because it's hard for me to look at what they have right now. And even coming up in the system, I'm not sure they have a surefire ace. they got a couple guys I'm really interested that they could be. But is that something that the Mariners really need to have a plan for? And if it's not right now, when do they need to develop a plan for that? That's a great question. I feel like that's one of the last pieces you go get. It, and it's interesting to look at when, you know, I was talking about some of the teams that have won the World Series and you look at their aces and it's fascinating to see when they got their aces. You know, you look at the Nationals who won it two years ago. I mean, Scherzer, they picked up. Boston the year before that. Sale they traded for. Houston the year before that. Verlander they traded for. Chicago the year before that, Lester and Arietta they traded for. I mean, all these teams have acquired their aces as, in some ways, almost that final piece. And not necessarily, uh, you know, Strasburg's different because Washington developed him. But there haven't been a lot of World Series winners have that have developed their own ace. And so I feel like when you are ready to win it all, and sometimes that's may be the that actual season at the trade deadline with which is what Houston did when they won it in 2017 they traded for Verlander at that deadline i feel like that's one of the missing pieces and i think that's a difficult thing to necessarily plan for because you don't know when you don't know when you're ready to win it all right right i mean maybe you have a feeling going into a season but i feel like that's one of the last pieces and it, it's a piece worth spending prospect capital on too. I totally it's the, would you, it's the would you rather show. right and would you rather spend prospect capital on that for a trade or would you rather spend dollars because the dollars have been absolutely insane for an ace then you're locked into that ace if you go the free agent route you're going to be looking at a guy for probably six to ten years yeah and that's the problem too because you're looking at the free agent route you're generally looking at a guy who's 30 at least I mean, that's that's generally the age. And so 
if you can get it. And the problem is, you're right. You, you say six, seven, eight years. That's that's going to be the cost of doing business with an ace in the free agent market. So uh, trade, you may get a guy for a couple of years of control in his upper 20s, which could make all the difference. I mean, that, I would almost rather go that route, depending on who it is, too. Uh, but free agency, it's... It is such a gamble when it comes to pitchers. But trades are, too. I mean, we saw San Diego got burned, <laughs> which is unfortunate. So, I mean, there, when it comes to pitchers, there's no guarantee, clearly. But, you know, you look at World, World Series winners, and, you know, there is a pattern where they have made a deal. And, you know, I look at the sale deal, and that, that could work out all the way around because Boston, you know, got the World Series championship. And at the same time, the White Sox got some really good pieces that are part of this championship run. So sometimes it works out for both, and you just have to accept that you're going to trade away some really good young players. But if it, I always feel like if any move you make to win it all ends up being a good move. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter what you did. As long as you win it all, whatever. Yes. I mean, that's the way I feel. About yes. It. You know, so it's such an interesting sports conversation, Gary, because I think we'd all agree that an ace in baseball is the most rare commodity. It's the most valuable commodity in baseball outside of like getting Mike Trout on his rookie year somehow, but attainable, like an actual thing that people can do. In other sports, yeah. it's the first thing that you do every time you build a championship. In basketball, you get your star player first and then you build your team around him. In football, you get your star quarterback first. You can have a great team, but you have a bad quarterback. You're not a Super Bowl contender. <laughs> it's not until you get that quarterback in that you really have a chance to say, all right, now we know how to build this thing. But you're right. The history does point a lot to that baseball, this one most valuable, rarest, game-changing commodity, is the last thing you typically add in a championship run. It's a, it's a curious thing how that works in baseball. It Isn't is really it largely strange. because he just pitches every five days. He's not an everyday player like in those other sports. He can only do so much. Yeah, and DeGrom's a perfect example of that, who's <laughs> been, the, been the best one going. And, you know, and, you know what, what difference has it made for the Mets? And Felix. I mean, they, Felix is obviously, I mean, it's the number one thing that we all said. We had an ace. He was here. You got that championship thing, and you can build a championship team around him. It's, yeah. Yeah. And unless you have the pieces around, you know, how much, how could, how much would you love DeGrom in the postseason, right? But if you don't have the team around him, you just can't get there. Gary, build me a club that makes it to the postseason or build me a pitching staff that makes it to the postseason with five Marco Gonzalez's. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so have I, have I, uh, I think we've talked about this, my, my theory of pitching I don't know if it's a theory. I've been thinking about this because, uh, right, we've been talking about so much about velocity for obvious reasons. I mean, velocity is off the charts. Guys are throwing. I mean, there were a couple of playoff series, or a couple of playoff games this year where the average velocity was 95 miles per hour in the game, which I think is just <laughs> crazy. The average fastball in the game was 95 miles per hour. But what's fascinating and bringing this back to Marco is when you look at uh, you look at some of the ERA leaders this year and it's it was really interesting to see some of the guys on that list uh, just take the American League for example and it's 
you know, Keuchel with a 199 and Bassett. And I know it's a short season, but I, I think this is pretty interesting. Keuchel and Bassett and Maeda and Marco's there. He was in the top 10. Uh, Lance Lynn's not a hard thrower. So we're in the age of velocity, yet, you know, half of the top 10 in ERA this year were guys that don't have these rocket fastballs. I think we are in an age where a guy like Marco Gonzalez, who can pinpoint, I mean, he can put the ball anywhere he wants. With the information that we have, you know, every time a hitter walks to the plate, you know exactly where his cold zone is. You know exactly where to attack that hitter. You know exactly where his weakness is. I mean, hitters walk to the plate every time completely naked. They can't hide anything because we know it all. I mean, we know it when they walk to the plate. We know their hot zones and cold zones. And so, you know, for sure the pitchers know how to attack it. So I think of a guy like Marco Gonzalez, if you can get guys that pinpoint guys that can spot like Marco and Keuchel. I mean, that is a huge advantage because you can just pinpoint and attack a hitter where they're the weakest every time they walk to the plate. And guys that throw generally, you know, 98, 99, they don't exactly always know where it's going. And when you get that combo of high velocity and pinpoint, that's when you get, you know, DeGrom and guys like that, just the ultra uber aces. But I think there's something to guys that can pinpoint right now. Velocity is not everything. And that's why I don't think you have to throw 98 to be an ace. I think Marco could be an ace. I, I really do. I mean, if he keeps heading down this road, it's it's one of the things about this season. I wish we could have seen him in a full season because he was excellent this year. He really. I was. really think it was a shame he didn't get. I was hoping he'd get a Cy Young vote or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been cool to see. Uh, just an amazing yeah. year. I, it, Shannon and I had a couple podcasts, and I was extremely critical that Marco Gonzalez for two years proved exactly who he is. He was statistically nearly identical for two consecutive years. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been. It was. I. I think I said at the time, it's foolish to think he'll be anything other than this. How could you be anything more or less than exactly what you are for two consecutive seasons? And yet, improving that sports is not written out of a book. He goes out and just shoves it. He proves absolutely that he knows way more about the game than people like me and the historians that will say, oh, put a consistent performance year after year. That's who you are. No, he's showing there's more you can learn and more you can use and adapting to how the game is going and taking a left turn when everyone else is taking a right. It's a pretty amazing thing to see. And he's got something that uh, I think these days is probably the hardest thing going. And he he's shown great durability. I mean, you look at... Uh, his 18, it was over 160 innings. And then he got to the 200 mark in 19. It felt like that he would have hit 200 this year, just watching him go out day in and day out. And you know, still 64 punch outs and 69 innings too. That is not a bad number. He didn't walk anybody. I mean, literally anybody for the first part of the season. I mean, there's a lot to love about his profile moving forward. So, I mean, you feel really, really good about him in the rotation. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, and, I, and just leadership, too, with the rest of the young rotation, too. I mean, all the intangibles are there. I, I, you just feel great about him. Gary, it was funny because your definition of an ace is the same as mine has been, and that's been a hard thing to get across to a, a large number of fans that think that every team has an ace. Every team has a number one. Aces are a, a, a 
full echelon a, a, above that and a highly you know valued thing in the game and you know a year ago i think it would have been outrageous to say that marco gonzalez has the potential to be an ace a true ace and I, i've been very very Marco's very good. Marco, you're not going to see him traded because his value to the Mariners is higher than it's going to be to anyone else because they see things and, and, and what he can give in other directions and, and how he uh, learns and how he progresses and, and the example that he sets. It's just other teams aren't going to see that. And we come out of this year and we saw what he did this year and uh, it changed my mind. It changed my mind that, you know what, I'm not putting a ceiling on him. And, and he, he likes that. He feeds off of that. He's ultimate chip on the shoulder guy. But, uh, you know, I really, really try to look at that objectively and, and just, you know, he's this, he's this, he's this. And now I'm like, nope, he's whatever he wants to be, you know, and that, that has been one of the great discoveries of this year. And no, I, I think it is possible that the guy who what averages like 87, is, is that generous on the fastball? Um, very well could be an ace and it's more obviously than the velocity and the strikeouts it's he can get guys out and stay in the games and uh, he's progressed it's not just been how he's done it it's when what he has done uh, how he uses his pitches he's improved some of his pitches been a little different every year but uh, you know what a discovery for the Mariners hey uh, before we let you go and this has been fun we're gonna need to do this more often baseball conversation Looking at what is available right now, we know that the Mariners' plan going into the offseason was to upgrade that bullpen, and I think that means now getting those more established arms. Uh, while I expect to see that, I also don't expect it to be... I expect them to be acquired for things that perhaps we don't see. We rarely see Jerry Depoto and his staff make the obvious move as far as this guy's a superstar of the dollar's or whatever, especially when it comes to arms. Who are some intriguing names that you see out there that you think might be a fit for this Mariners pen? That's a great question. Uh, alas, my, my top one is already off the board, which is amazing because there's been like three guys signed, and he was already signed. I really like, I really like May from Minnesota, mm -hmm. where the Mets ended up signing for two years. Uh, local guy, too. I just thought it was a great fit. He's not a household name. This is why I look at uh, a guy like Trevor May, who has great stuff, who's you know not a household name. He hasn't racked up saves, so probably comes at a lower price tag because of that. But I, I look at guys like that who uh, who would be a great fit. Now it signed with the Mets, so they felt the same way. Uh, a couple year deal. So there's a number of those guys out there like that, uh, there's two kind of categories I'm looking at. So there's that kind of setup under the radar with really good stuff. And there's also the kind of bounce back candidates, you know, the Kirby Yates kind of candidate who would maybe take a one year deal to build back some of his value, who's been really effective, right? The last few years and would be a really great fit. So I think there's, there's a Kirby Yates kind of class, and then there's the Trevor May kind of class where, you know, uh, Justin Wilson's in that mix. Just kind of veterans that have been around, kind of that you know what you're getting, that kind. And the list is actually pretty long. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys that are in the market uh, in terms of relievers. 
And I guess the way I look at it, if you could sign three of those, hopefully a couple work out, sign four of those, a couple work out, that kind of, that kind of moves. Kind of like Hirano was last year. Which it's a departure from this isn't claiming guys off of the waiver wire and, and seeing something in them that could be good. It's, it's, it's more of an investment that we have seen in the past yeah. and in the sheer numbers that you're talking about too, because they do need to add three to four arms. I think so. Uh, and I think if you getting a, a couple guys with a proven track record too, I think would be, it'd be really important. I always feel like it for a bullpen, if you can stabilize a portion of it, if you can stabilize the back end, and you don't necessarily have to have a closer by name, but if you can feel good about a couple of guys late, guys that you want to go to in the eighth and ninth inning, it really goes a long way in helping to solidify the rest. Because it, if the whole thing is kind of up in the air, if you don't really know who you're going to go to in the eighth or ninth inning or in the sixth or seventh of the game on the line, uh, it's hard to solidify the whole thing. I think Archie Bradley is another name who is non-tendered by the Reds is, you know, one of those kind of guys, the veteran type that have been around that's proven they can get outs. You know, the list is pretty interesting. You know, there's, there's the guys with closer track records like Melanson, you know, that kind, I, I don't necessarily see them going in that direction, but I could see them going in the kind of the, Trevor May type direction, those kind of guys, you know, under the radar uh, setup guys. I don't and the other thing to keep in mind is that they need guys that are healthy and more proven. Uh, if we don't know what roster size is going to be next year, I have a sneaky suspicion that it might be back to 26. And if that's the case and they go with a six man rotation, you're losing an arm out of that pen. So these have got to go. And they've really kind of, they made the shift in spring training last year. Scott Service was very upfront. We want all of our relievers to be able to go an inning plus and be able to do an up and down on a regular basis if need be. So, you know, they're going to need guys that can pitch multiple times a week, multiple innings if they choose, which it appears they will, to go with that six-man rotation again and the roster size goes back to 26. Yeah, I think that's right. You don't have room for like a lefty that can just get a couple outs. You don't, you know, that, that kind of thing. I think that's a luxury these days in baseball anyway, but yeah, you're going to have to guy have guys that can go multiples. You know, I think uh, Shane green is another kind of, I'm just thinking of, of guys that would be good fit. Shane green is a type of guy that fits. Yumi Garcia is another guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, don't you think three adding three is a good number? Yeah, I need to rebuild the bullpen. It kind of changes from time to time, but I do. And it's not, you know, it's it's got to be somebody that you don't have to worry about or be careful with. This isn't an experiment. This is, you know, as much as you need the rest of the team to get you to the deadline, I see this as a team that they hope to add at the deadline. Bullpen will be obviously critical to that. As, as I listen to this conversation, I'm curious, do you see the Mariners targeting multi-year relievers in this? And I'm going to ask this question because of this reason. If you're not expecting this next next year's team to be a playoff contender right off the bat, or you know maybe it's an outside chance that you become a playoff contender halfway through the year, 
Is there a lot of purpose in and meaning into trying to get one-year relievers at average-ish money as opposed to just trying to scrape by or really invest in one or two guys that you really think have a chance to be stalwarts for you over the next few years? If your guy is there, maybe. Yeah. I think there are a couple of names that you would, and I think that you would also be taking into account that perhaps this is at a little bit of a discount this year that I, I could see perhaps, but if you are building toward, see, that's the other thing. I mean, if you're building toward the trade deadline, how much are you, you're going to be, hopefully, if you are making a push for the postseason, how much of your assets do you really want going to relief when relief is available yeah. right now? Right. Yeah. And available in big numbers right now. Cause I feel like going into the season, Shannon, just thinking about it, like Yohan Ramirez, I feel like is part of things. Masevich, who they love, is right. part of things. Kendall Graven, I think, is part of things. And then there's kind of the Gerber, Swanson kind of guys that can force force the issue. But it, it is I think it's pretty wide open for multiple arms to be added. I mean, they have some interesting arms in the back, but Finding a couple of veterans, good veterans, I think will go a long way. Yeah, I but think I it's like absolutely like necessary. Those three guys I listed, and maybe I'm not thinking of someone off the bat, I think those three guys I listed are in the mix, but there are not a lot of spots back there that are guaranteed to go to somebody. I think it's, I think going to spring, at least as we sit here right now, that can change, it is wide open back there and younger arms that you'll see at some point uh wyatt mills uh andres sure. munoz when he gets healthy can't right. wait to see what that's all about um Absolutely. but again you don't have a lot of room i think for those guys that you're going to have to be careful about and you know maybe they pick up a rule five guy i kind of tend to think that they don't this year mm. but um you know you don't know you have a good i think you have a good feeling about what anthony Masevich is and, and he gives you a lot you're hearing good things. We saw good progress at the end of the year with Johan Ramirez, and it sounds like he's doing well in winter ball right now, so yeah. that's good. And I think you feel good about what you saw from Kendall Graveman, but you don't know for sure. Right. So that's a lot of question marks. You need to lock that down, and there's some opportunities. And, again, it doesn't have to be the, the shiniest, most expensive thing out there. And it doesn't have to be multi-year either. But if your guy is out there, if you feel your guy is out there, and if you are if you are truly – targeting postseason for this year, which means you're targeting postseason for 2022 right now, if the right guy is there, I think now is the time to make that move. Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. All right. Well, we haven't quite fixed the pen, but I think we're getting there, and I think no, we have I, an interesting philosophy. <laughs> it, it's hard, because I, I was I was looking at that when the offseason began, and it, it's there are so many names to sift through and then there, you know, there were more added at the waiver deadline too. There's just, there's a lot of guys available and yeah, I listed a, a few, I, I think the three going into the off season were green May and Garcia that I kind of spotlighted it's just because I guess age and stuff more than anything, but there, there are a number of guys available. There's no shortage. So you know what? I think the most important thing right now is you don't want the bullpen to be the reason why you didn't get there. 
I agree. And, you know, it's not about we've got to go find a closer. We've got to go find a setup guy. we got to find people are going to blow the doors off of, of buildings right now. Yes. You want that pen to not be a problem for the first three months of the season. That That's right. I, I don't think going out and signing Liam Hendricks is the answer. I, I think, you know, you, you're not going you're not trying to get the biggest name on the market. You're just trying to get solid. It's uh, it's just going to be hard for me if they sign three or four relievers and end up throwing, you know, a combined twenty million dollars or fifteen million dollars at this bullpen and then not really supplement the whole roster to make it a playoff team. That's that's harder for me to swallow than to say, all right, I got this one guy that I know for sure is going to be good for three years, or I didn't spend this money because I'm going to wait and I'm going to acquire these guys via trade or at the deadline when I really know that they're good enough and that's where I'm going to spend my – it's just – it's hard for me to spend one-year money on a team that they're not sure is going to be a playoff team. Well, uh, their goal is to be a playoff team this year. And, again, if they're a playoff team this year, that means, okay, the window we were talking about is open and the goal is to sustain that. So, you know, how they get there this year I think will be different than how they do it in other years, which is kind of an interesting conversation, I guess, in itself for another time. But this is kind of the start up of what they want to be, kind of rolling over the talent and getting it going and whatnot. I think we're getting to the window. How do you get to the window? And if that window is indeed open come the deadline, then I think things look very different at that point, if that makes any sense. Yeah, we're getting to the window in unusual circumstances, too, where maybe there are, there's more help out there available than you might have thought initially approaching the window, which adds a whole other dimension to the what they may or may not be thinking. Yeah, and, and we're seeing a team like the Angels right now. They've, I think, made up their mind that we're going to just kind of grab whatever for now and go. And, you know, maybe with everything that's available right now, you know, maybe you should be more of a shopper because it's available, because it's there, and uh, the market uncertainty with it could play to your advantage. I, it'll be interesting to see how it plays. As, as you, it's a lot of names, you know? Yeah. And we could go a month from now, and some very good names could still be there. Oh, I think that's for sure. I think that is that is a guarantee. I mean, don't you think this is going to be a pretty slow-moving market this next month? Well, for relievers, I mean, in sheer numbers, yeah, which it's kind of funny. This is the first time we really haven't seen Jerry Depoto make a quick hit on something. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. I think I'd feel yeah, better just... if I saw them make a quick hit on something. <laughs> well, I mean, you like to know conviction, right? You like to know, like, all right, we're this is what we're going to do. And I just decided that. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, maybe this afternoon. They did clear some roster space yesterday. Yeah, there you go. They did it for In fact, reason. I'm sure it's going to happen. <laughs> All right, it's done. It's great. All right. Well, Gary, it was so, so, so appreciate the baseball chat here. We didn't yeah, even get to the – the White Sox stole an announcer from the Cubs. That's got to be the biggest offseason move so far. <laughs> it's a big win for radio, so I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, radio. Yay, radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh god. I know we should talk about that sometime because that I mean Len Casper is one of the best out there. So congrats to the White Sox. It's he's fantastic. <laughs> it's a bad year for the Cubs. Yeah. All right. 
<laughs> That's okay. They've got a World Series. They've got a beautifully new renovated park. <laughs> They're due. <laughs> All right, Gary, we definitely will do this again. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks, Gary. Always great to have Gary stop by and talk some baseball. You know, that kind of gave you a little inside look at our conversations that we have in breaks in between innings during the season. As it is, all three of us love talking baseball, if you can't tell. We probably could have gone for another hour easily. As it turns out, we did have a third segment planned, which we have now pushed to our next podcast. So, Be ready for a howdy surprise. That's going to do it for us this week, however. Before we go, a big thanks to Seattle Band Days for our intro and outro music. We'll be back with you soon. Until then, take care.